Welcome to the Shaky Experience. My name is James Richard Lane. Today, we'll be speaking volume with Rafe Offer, the co-founder and executive chairman of So Far Sounds. But before we get started, I want to encourage you to stay tuned all the way to the end to hear my product reviews of Tico, a tea supply company, and Puffin Drinkware, as well as my festival review of Pitchfork Music Festival 2023. So here we go, this awesome interview with Rafe coming up right now. Welcome to The Shaky Experience. My name is James Richard Lane. Today we'll be speaking volume with Rafe Offer. Rafe is the co-founder and executive chairman of So Far Sounds. So Far Sounds is a business that hosts secret concerts in unique spaces that features a very diverse and talented group of all types of musicians from different styles and genres. The company was started in London in 2009 and has since hosted events in over 400 cities and 78 countries. So far, it continues to grow and has hosted over 22,000 performances and counting. Artists that have performed so far includes Billie Eilish, The Marias, James Bay, Wolf Alice, Bastille, Hosier, Leon Bridges, Karano of the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and even the Twilight actor himself, Robert Pattinson. Rafe has truly created a special community, and I'm very excited to have him on. Without further ado, Rafe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, that's really uh, nice. It's really humbling. Uh, we should stop stop the interview here. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Let's end it. <laughs> I massively so, appreciate you saying that. For our listeners that may be unfamiliar with So Far Sounds, do you mind sharing the story, just telling us how it got started and kind of the nuts and bolts of the beginning? Sure. So it started because I was a frustrated fan. I have no musical talent, but I do like to listen. And I was at a gig similar to a lot of other gigs that I had been to in that it just wasn't okay. There were a lot of, I guess, problems, which I'll describe in a second. And there was this moment when all of them sort of came together. I turned to the two other guys who I started this with, Dave and Rocky, and said, the band is trying to play. Half the room is talking. The bar is open. We can hear the clanging of the beer bottles and whatever else. And people have their phones out and seem to be more concerned with texting and talking to somebody outside this room, even though they paid the equivalent of $10, than, than, than listening. And Dave, at the time, was a musician, said, you know, yeah, it's soul-destroying for me to be up on a stage and have all that happen as well. So there's this moment where we're like, this is not okay. How can we do something different? The scene was London, as you said, in 2009, in the Soho area of London. Uh, Dave was from Ireland. Rocky was from, was from central London, and I'm from Chicago. And so we were just three, three different people coming together. And so I just said, well, what can we do? And quickly, it was suggested and agreed that we should get out of this place and go to a house. Why a house? Well, at least in a house, it's small, it's intimate, and you can control the environment. So we paraded not long after that to my house and there was eight people there and we asked everyone just to, I guess, just to be in the moment, James, just to focus and listen, almost like a meditation in a way and just put your drinks and everything else down. And the first song from the first person, Dave, who played, it was just so simple and not a new idea, by the way, people have been having concerts and houses for centuries. But for us, it was new. 
And it was completely magical. It's like, where's all the distraction? There is none. Let's just lean in. And yeah, it goes on from there, but that was the very beginning. And there's no place like home, you know? (laughs) Also, having a unique space, a unique venue makes it more memorable in a sense as well. Totally. It changes the rules. So the rules are, in a way, it's okay to talk. And the the bar is going to be open. And you know what? If you want to go to the toilet, it's going to be kind of gross. And all of a sudden, you're in a different sort of place. And while we started at homes, we've branched out to lots of different types of places. But to your point, it's always somewhere a little bit different. I remember when we got a call from the Norwegian government saying, we have a ski jump and nothing's happening with it in the summertime. Would you guys like to use it? We've heard about these pop-up secret gigs of yours. I'll explain if we have time why they're secret, most of them. And we said, well, sure, we'll go check it out. So we checked it out and there it was, a ski jump really high up. So we said, okay, sure. And actually the, the, the story goes, the bands showed up on the day and they expected it was going to be in the platform at the bottom. And then we're like, no, it's way, way, way up there on the top. And most of the band members were afraid of heights. They revealed at that moment. So we had to find, I think, some, some whiskey and some beer and get them, get them to calm down. I love that. That's amazing. That is so good. And then you have like a really big trampoline or something like that at the bottom. You're like, all right, guys, we got you this huge trampoline. So don't worry if anything happens. That's so good. Did you always think you would get into the music industry? Were your family involved in the music industry? Did you have friends involved in the music industry? What was kind of like your lifestyle before So Far Sounds? So the crazy thing is, no, I never thought I would be in the music industry. I know no one in the music industry. Well, now I do, but I didn't. And it was not even remotely on the radar. One of the things my dad taught me, which hopefully a lot of parents instill, is do something you like and even better, do something you love. And I was always searching for that. I had some jobs that I liked, a few I loved, some I didn't like at all. And there was always something about, well, what am I passionate about? I was always passionate about a few things, and one of them clearly music. So I had no clue really about whether this would get anywhere from when we started, but I had no experience. And ironically, because all of us, the three of us, and then you know, for most of the years, it's been just me. And for um, most of the time, the, the fact that we didn't know anything really helped because we did all these sort of stupid things that didn't make any sense. You know, like don't tell anyone where the concert is until right before it and don't tell anyone who's playing and have it in a house. And everyone at the the beginning was like, what? We would never have done that if we were in the music industry because we would have had like any industry, you know, a focus and and, uh, not had that ability to think a little bit or radically different. That's so interesting, too, because around that time when you started in 2009, that's when Facebook was really popping off, too. And that's when I think you still needed a college email in order to have a Facebook account. And that was certainly before Instagram and definitely not as popular for a live stream series, too. So it feels like so far 
must have had a very grassroots approach in the beginning phases. I can't imagine that accessibility that businesses and startups have now utilizing social media platforms and influencers wasn't something necessary that so far was able to use the tools and resources such as. That's a really astute point. We did it 100% DIY, 100% just the group of us we had really no tools except MySpace, which was a thing. The way we grew was basically email and one gig at a time. So I explained, you know, the first gig at a house, second, third, fourth, they were all at houses. But what we would do is we would announce at the end, hey, anyone else want to do this? Anyone else got a space? Anyone want to play? You guys, if you liked it, hopefully you'll come back and you'll support the artists. And we passed a hat around. There was zero commercial anything for five years at least. So it was purely for the love of music and helping my friends who were, I, you know, I thought were pretty talented. So what, what happened was we obsessed over making the experience great, meaning being nice, welcoming people in and having music that was probably better than people expected. Yeah. When we said, you know, it's in a house, people just assumed, eh, what's that going to be like? And I just said, just come once. And if, it, if it's terrible, fine, don't come back. And then we would go to great lengths to blow them away and make it better than they expected and more interesting and shorter. Most of the sets are like 20 minutes, even now, years later. So that was the whole jam. And then people would, we were lucky, you know, people would explode out and say, wow, that was amazing. Some people would not want to tell anyone because it felt like a thing they wanted to keep to themselves. And most people would go and tell a lot of people, which you do when you discover something you kind of like. Absolutely. I think that word of mouth has a lot more reach than what people will give it for sure. And I certainly mm-hmm. feel that within so far, it's also very memorable, as you mentioned, having the opportunity to blow people away. When I do attend so far shows, I've definitely been to a good handful of them. It's always aesthetically pleasing. And I was wondering if that was the idea the whole time. Was there a so far logo that you guys would sort of place in the spaces when you were first starting off? Was there always beautiful plants surrounding the stage and nice lighting and so forth? Or did it have a a little something different? Another just really fun question. No, 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 we had no money. So our logo was developed for free. And we literally would handwrite it uh, and then just print it out and tape it on the wall. It was so DIY. We had literally nothing. We would sit on the floor because it was easier. We had no time. We asked people for help. We lugged some of the equipment if it was needed for amplification, usually not. And we had to buy a camera with the little money we had to film it early on. Like when uh, Robert Pattinson played, you know, we, we happened to have a camera there and asked him if we could make a video. And he said, uh, no, if you don't mind. And I didn't know who he was. So I'm like, well, come on, everybody's film. What's the big deal, dude? And he's like, oh, okay, fine. So you know, we were lucky we had a camera and we could capture some things like that and other things. So it was totally chill. I think the aesthetics happened just from your point before about interesting spaces. You know, when we did one at a carpet store in Paris, that looks cool. It's not our design. It just looks interesting. Uh, your house, my house has artifacts that people find 
interesting. You know, I've lived now for a while in London and people have a phrase, have a nose around, you know, maybe it's used in the States, I don't know, but be nosy. But no matter where you go, when you go somebody new, you were like, hey, what's over here? And early days, like when you mentioned Bastille, when Bastille played, you know, the green room was my friend Sharon's baby's room. So, you know, it was all surreal. You know, they were preparing to be up on the makeshift stage in the living room. And they were nervous. They were so nervous because there's no barrier at these shows. For an artist, you know, there's no lights, there's no stage. You can see everybody make a mistake. They hear it. So they were knocking back wine, a lot of it in this baby's room prior to going on stage. It was all really strange. But the aesthetics were just real life. You know, it was just, it was what it was. It, it sounds like, yeah, it had the authenticity of something that people would love. It kind of reminds me of the American Visionary Art Museum or something like that, which is in Baltimore, by the way, is kind of this place that is fun and you get to explore it and you just get to see oddity of things. And maybe it'll inspire somebody. I mean, who knows, right? Like you probably get emails fairly frequently of people being like, hey, I went to a SoFar show and now I'm in a band or hey, I went to a SoFar show. Now I'm a collector of uh, (laughs) these really awesome artifacts of sorts. I don't know. I'm sure there's got to be something in there, right? Yeah, you're right. There's so many stories, everything from someone saying last week, I want to do SoFar for food. So a pop up, you don't know what's going to be served. That's been going on for years. You know, not a new idea, but so far for film, pop-up film events where you're on the floor and not knowing the film. And so there's that whole line of thinking, you know, well beyond that or classical music or what have you. And then there's just the emotional side of it because a community is built. I was in Madrid last month and a woman came up to me and said, hey, uh, I'm a Mexican-American. I discovered so far... uh, in my area of town in St. Louis. And then when I moved to Madrid, I had nobody, uh, but I remembered so far and went right away and now gone five times. And I feel at home because it feels similar and people are friendly. And while she's saying this to me, she starts to cry. Mm. And I'm like, what's going on? Is she unstable or no, she was just very thankful that there was something there for her. So I think to your point, it just, you just don't know when you have an idea that where it'll go and who it'll touch. I love that rave so much. I cannot emphasize to you. I have an obsession over two things. The first is music. I'm a huge music lover, especially the errors between 2008 and 2013 right in that area i love the music that was released back then oh my god i mean i still do now i'm researching all the time but like especially that the second thing is entrepreneurs i love entrepreneurs i love hearing entrepreneurs stories and business owners and founders and having this conversation with you is just just gives me all the excitement and all the good feels and it kind of reminds me in a way in the positive sense, by the way, I should really highlight that because I know there was a little bit of controversy, but with mm-hmm. Adam Newman of We Were mm-hmm. and sort of how he started off and just kind of had this crazy idea and one thing led to another and no one told him what WeWorks would become, mm-hmm. but it eventually became this international 
most notable co-working space in the world. And I think in a similar sense with SoFar, SoFar has become an international hub for concerts and events and just very fun and memorable experiences. When did you know this was going to take off? And also, what made you decide to give this your full attention? Yeah, great questions. It's, it is hard to be an entrepreneur and exciting. It's exhilarating and a super big challenge. And you're never quite sure when it's going to work. It's a gradual thing. There are lots of little points along the way that only in retrospect were positive signals. And for me, two that I mention often were the fifth show, I think it was, when we had done a lot of work just telling friends about it and we're waiting for people to come. And there's always that moment when you're hosting something, is anyone going to show up? So we didn't ticket it for years. And then I, I sort of blinked and there was a line like out the door and down the block to get in. And then I was like, how are we going to fit all these people into, into this, you know, relatively small living room? And we did somehow, uh, probably the worst fire hazard ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it only happened once. But the point was, it was like, whoa, how did all these people hear about us? Why are they here? And it was because they just thought it was interesting and they, they had heard that the music we were putting on was good. The second one was when I got the first call from somebody abroad, uh, i.e. overseas from London, where I, where I live, that I didn't know. And it was a woman called Casey and she was living in LA. And I'm like, hey, you know, who are you? And she's like, oh, well, you know, I'm in the music industry, but also I love community vibe and putting something together. And, you know, can I do so far in LA? And I said, honestly, Casey, it's just people getting together in a living room. You can do whatever you want. You don't need me. Go for it. And she said, no, no, I really want to connect. I want it to be a community that is now in LA. And that was shocking. And I literally had no clue who this person was. That was kind of a mini tipping point, those two things, certainly in the early days. Wow, that is special. It, it's really neat when someone reaches out blindly and yeah, never, you don't really know where it's going to go, but I do certainly appreciate that. And kind of talking a little bit more about when you were first starting off, was there ever a time where you felt like giving up? And if so, what surpassed that? Was there anything that inspired you to keep the wheels in motion book or just maybe a talk or a speech or a quote? Mm. Okay. So when I decided to do this full time connects to what you're saying, some of it was the point where we were doing so much that there was no turning back and we just had to make it work. It was 20 hours a week. We were earning no money still. We had to say, okay, we have to earn some money from this and we need to make it work. I think for the artists, because if we fail, then these 20,000 plus and well more than that artists don't get a chance to play here. And while we're not changing their lives, we definitely know we're helping. And so, that has always motivated me more than anything. First, it was I needed money. So I had to find a way to earn money and do it full time, but for something I love, but more importantly, for all these artists. And that, that, that definitely motivates and still does and motivated me. Did I think of giving up? Never. Did we have existentially difficult chats with the two other guys all the time? And one of them left after about a year 
uh, that was really hard and we had argued about certain things in direction and more importantly he was on moving on to get a real job as his fiance told him and the other guy was with me for many years and then we had to part ways as well and that was super stressful and that's when i was starting that was probably the, the most worrying time when i found out that sort of the what he was doing because of the stress which was understandable was a little toxic with the culture and i always told everybody we have to live the values you know part of the values is just treating people with respect being direct but not being difficult overly difficult or acting in a way that you know you wouldn't want to be treated and when uh, rocky was doing that uh we had to chat with them and just say maybe it's time to to move on at the same time i was worried that that might be the end because you know that was going to be just me obviously it's a whole community and there are so many other people responsible for the success but as a leader that was super stressful to your point so it all comes down to the people is the reason that you do it and love it and the people why you think it's going to come crashing down in my experience as an entrepreneur more than anything else and do you still have love and or relationship with both of the other founders as well oh yeah totally totally uh dave did another thing and he's just a great guy and we hang out and rocky as well we're, we're very much in touch so yes you know we, we parted ways it was time for both of them to, to move on and change and I, I i think that there's a lot of other reasons why you succeed or fail as an entrepreneur but some of it if you can get through the people issues which always come up is yeah. a little bit of madness a little bit of like i'm gonna make this work no matter what Adam Newman, you know, the WeWork founder, he's a bit crazy. And every entrepreneur I met is a bit nuts. So, yeah. you know, it's like nuts to the point where I'm just going to keep going, even if I love this that. is a crazy idea. <laughs> I love that. And I was wondering, where did the so far finances come early on? Like, did you guys apply for grants? Was there fundraisers? How did you sustain? Did you have a part-time job at like a retail store? What, what was uh, the deal? How did you make it work? Yeah. So the dirty secret, um, if that's the right word for it about entrepreneurs, is the majority that succeed are older. Uh, unfortunately, are white men. I have part of some organizations that are trying to allow more entrepreneur real diversity. But that's the, the numbers, unfortunately, at the moment. And I you know, was a guy in my late 30s who had a decent salary from a big company. And so I was able to save some money. And then when I quit my job, I was a consultant. So I made good money working three days a week. And that really helped sustain me and so far because I pumped money into it early on. Then we raised some money from angels. And guess what? The angels were my friends and friends of friends. And that really helped a ton. Uh, just pay us enough that we could build a website and hire a few people and keep going. And that's often the case. And, and the reason I say that is, you know, it's sort of a fantasy that the sort of 20 something eating, you know, ramen noodles every night is going to yeah. make it. There are people like that, of course, but that is hard and stats are against you. It's good to have some life experience, some money saved, something to fortify you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that 100%. And also having a little bit of a relationship with some other angel investors and then some other entrepreneurs is definitely a great opportunity as well. Just touching on that, I was curious, is there any other entrepreneurs and or business owner CEOs of note that you could maybe mention here that you have a good relationship with that you might consider one of your friends or something. You know, I know that so far has previously partnered with Uber and Airbnb. I know there's a couple more. Yeah, I was wondering what are some of your relationships like within sort of the the entrepreneurial industry and sure. Yeah. Brian Chesky, the CEO and founder and one of the co-founders of Airbnb, definitely somebody I look up to, met him a number of times and watched his journey. And yes, we had a partnership with them and have done, done quite a bit over the years. He's somebody who started something that I thought was super cool and really inspiring. You know, as everybody knows the story, I don't have to get into it except to say that he was somebody and his co-founders who was really creative and didn't do it overnight and you know worked super hard over years, earning money on the side and making it work before they were able to jump. And it does feel like, jumping uh, off off uh, a cliff. So I would say he's, he's definitely one. The founder of uh, Patreon, if you know Patreon, they're like a, like a Kickstarter type platform where you can find ways to support your, not just music, but any creative project and get money in through that. Um, he's been an individual that I've been talking to for a number of years. And in the music industry, there's a number of people who have done great things. I think SoundCloud is one of them. Yeah. And, and I know those folks over there. And I mean, it's easy to talk about Spotify when they created, because there's some controversy as well, but when they created what they did, it was you know, mind-blowingly helpful for the music industry and for many people. And yet, yeah, they, they have had their ups and downs, but I'm really inspired by, by how they just did something totally new. Yeah, absolutely. A resource that provides free music to the world, basically. I mean, that's that's pretty epic, honestly. I was wondering, who was your first concert ever that you ever went and saw in your entire life? My first concert was a guy called Harry Chapin, who I think changed his name after uh, some soul searching. And what I remember is two things. The first one is I fell asleep. I was like, I was young and my cool older cousins took me and I think the music was dull, but whatever. And then the second thing is, as we were leaving, I looked up at the marquee and the next night at the Chicago stadium was Led Zeppelin. And I said to my cousins, who's Led Zeppelin? That's a cool name. And now I'm like, I wish I was there the next night. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Did you ever end up seeing Led Zeppelin or Paul I, McCartney or any of the big names like that? I had tickets to go see them. And the saddest day of, of my young life is when, music-wise, was when the drummer, John Bonham, died. And so the tickets I had were worth nothing because uh, they canceled oh. the tour. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Well, that's kind of interesting. I'm going to look up that name that you mentioned earlier. I, I want to see first ever concert Rafe saw. Most embarrassing or guilty pleasure artist that you enjoy? Oh, without question, Britney Spears. And uh, 
especially the song Toxic, which I will put on and just dance to in, by myself or even not by myself in the living room, just like a crazy person. It's just something about her and that song and some of her songs that, uh, you know, would not normally admit publicly, perhaps. Uh, well, you just did. <laughs> but I also love that song very much as well. There's something very sexual and like fun and sexy and just, I don't know, just that vibe. And it's like Britney just like on top of the top. That's like a prime man. I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Amen. Amen. What would you be doing if you weren't in the music industry? At this stage in my life, I would, and I still, I do some of it when I have time, I would be advising young entrepreneurs as to how to, how to, you know, get through the stressful parts as best I can, how to make it. And part of that would be investing or at least having some sort of tiny share of what they're doing if I really believed in it. And then the majority would just be for money or no, not for money. It really depends on you know, where I am in life in, in, in terms of your question, but just helping. I just really love helping somebody get a little bit faster along that journey or not slip on a banana peel. We all do, but yeah. if I can help you a bit, I will. Uh, yeah. And I also just, I just get so much energy from meeting loads of people who have crazy change the world ideas. I love that. Um, maybe you should be on Shark Tank. <laughs> Bring it on. I don't Sitting know if I'm right next to Mark. Sitting next to Mark Cuban and just like, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Will you be with So Far forever? Oh, wow. That's a really tough question. Well, right now, So Far is super exciting, like it was when I started, because we're doing more with what we call artist services. So, for that, I mean, somebody plays, and you mentioned earlier, you know, Billie Eilish. And, somebody plays and they go on to do great things. And can we help them a little further along in their journey? Like we do with like I want to do with entrepreneurs. And so I'm really excited for all the things we're doing to help artists along the way, whether it's finding new ways for them to sell tickets and learn about the data of who they're actually playing for and VIP experiences and things that we're dreaming up now. So for me, so far as like in the toddler stage, even though wow. we've been doing it a while, because the, the, the whole thing with the concerts and more cities and going around the world and touring artists and artist services, all these things are for me like a fresh start, even though it's been around for a bit. So I guess the answer is no, as long as I'm able to crawl to a gig, you know, and, and hear about these things, I'll be there. What role does technology have in the future of so far? For example, I know that augmented reality is kind of a new thing. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's sort of exciting. You know, like people will pull out their phones and there'll be a mural and it's, it's just, it comes to life. And I was wondering, you know, something like that. And could the metaverse ever play a role in so far? Could there ever be a so far metaverse show? Of course, certainly. At the moment, we're not envisioning it just yet because there's so much more to be done just in getting our gigs out there and getting people to actually play still sort of post COVID and artists need a boost and venues are shutting down. There's just so much to be done in helping those artists through our gigs and our artist services that 
it's just not happening. So I think generally the role of technology is a beautiful enabler, a beautiful way to help us scale what we do rather than be on the bleeding edge of creating something that doesn't lead to uh, being physically in a room or helping people get their name out. So I think we're, 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 we're in a relationship with technology where it's part of the plan and massive, but I'm not looking at it to be like the lead just yet. Got it. Got it. Cool. I like it. What was your experience with the TED Talk? How did that come to fruition? Tell me sort of the fun, the odds and ends there. Yeah, it's intimidating. They have loads of rules that you don't know about. Like, you got to be super careful what you say because nothing can come across as promoting anything. And so it's like tripwires when you're practicing the speech (laughs) and shaping it. You know, I had no clue about that. And I love to you know, get up on a stage, I'm very happy to, but it was more intimidating than anything. I think because of the history and just something about it that was slightly different. And I guess it's for me, like for a musician, you're playing in a venue that's no bigger than when you you played before, but it's got all this history. For me, Ted has all this history, all the people who've been there before and will be there, like the ghosts of Ted talks prior, if you could make a movie about it. What would you say was your experience working with Sir Richard Branson as well? That is a pretty high up there thing to do. Virgin Group. You know, Richard Branson actually used to host a music festival. It's called Virgin Mobile Free Fest. And it was a free music festival in Columbia, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. And it would have the biggest named artist there every single year for zero dollars and zero cents all you had to do was volunteer somewhere and prove that you volunteered somewhere to go to the festival and that's just something that i truly think is remarkable and i have so much respect for richard branson so it would be really interesting for me to hear kind of your relationship with him it was a pinch yourself moment when Virgin called us and said, we stroke Richard Branson have heard of you and we're interested in supporting, i.e. investing both money as well as his time, as well as their platforms. That was pinch yourself because we didn't, we didn't know it. They were doing it secretly. You know, we're secret gigs ish and they're, they were secretly going to our secret gigs and they called. So that was crazy. And it was a dream because I've always really looked up to him kind of the way you do he's like a rock star who's not a rock star he looks like one but but you know he, he does everything but get up and play the guitar and when i first met him we had hosted a gig that he came to it was in a teeny tiny room there were way too many people to fit in the room at the time but we made it work uh, we enlarged the room and it was fine but what was funny about it was he sat down and he's such an icon that nobody sat near him. Everybody was like giving him you know, space deferentially to the point where it was weird because like I said, there was a lot of people and everyone was extra crammed like sardines in other areas of the room, if not to be near Sir Richard. And he actually felt it and he, he, he just said, guys, I don't bite, you know, please come and sit near me on this couch. And that was that was who he was. He was sort of aware of his own impact, but 
did it, you know, did it in a way that didn't feel intimidating and made you feel welcome. And then when I sat and took a picture of him and met him other times, it was just always really goofy, goofily exciting. I can relate. <laughs> I love that so much. That's awesome. Good for you, Rave. Good for you for having that connection with him. I mean, he is, he's just like one of those legends that will always go down in history, you know, just like real top guy. Totally. What would you say is the criminally most underrated album of all time? <laughs> That's an insanely good question. Wow. Wow. I almost have to think because the ones that I know are well known and it's more about the people who are in the dustbins of history. Yeah. Who people don't know about because for whatever reason, it's the searching for Sugarman moment where, you know, they should have a platform and they didn't. Say a few top ones right now, just like the tops for you anyway. And then let's get to the criminally. Ah, well, anything by Fleetwood Mac, if we go back in the day, just is so fresh and so timeless. Anything by Carol King, anything as previously stated by Led Zeppelin, anything by Muddy Waters, uh, my hometown, Chicago, anything blues, rock, fusion, just, you know, sign me up. And uh, easy softball, the Beatles, you know, I don't yeah. understand. They don't get old. They just don't. Yeah. Will there ever be another Beatles? Is it possible for another Beatles? I don't think so. I, I look at all the years that have gone by and how many songs they wrote that were so good in such a short, relatively short period of time and how those four sensationally talented people came together. And we all know the story that two of them sort of Paul and John led the way, but the others were, you know, insanely talented too. I'm not so sure we will ever see the likes of the Beatles again, that, that heady mix. And in terms of, wow, overrated albums, it's more about, yeah, I'm stumped. I'm not, everything I know is either famous or new. Yeah. So, they're underrated only because they're coming up and they're bubbling up is my, my jam is new stuff and classic stuff. Mm, I like it. I like it. Okay. I am going to give you a hot take and then you have to give me a hot take back. Okay. So my hot take is that I think that death cab for cutie <laughs> has a similar level in the sense of so many hit songs as mm-hmm. the Beatles, that Whoa. that would be the closest follow-up within maybe the past 20 years. And I'm not saying like they're as famous or they'll ever reach that height or anything like that. So my, my hot take back to you is actually from the same town. And I would argue insanely talented, and, you know, go toe for toe with Death Cab for Cutie and that's Elliot Smith. Mm. I mean, okay. yeah. he, his songs, his way of singing, his uniqueness, his, his, his tragedy, uh, just another insanely talented Seattle-based uh, musician. So I would, yeah, I would go toe-to-toe with him if I had to pick somebody. It's like, what's going on in the water there? Like, what are they <laughs> drinking that is making them that good? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. a lot of bands. Of Pearl course. Jam, Foo Fighters, like Dave Grohl. Just the fact that Dave is rocking out in modern time is it's crazy, man. Like that guy is forever. It's it's wild. Name a band or artist that you believe is the best live show you have ever seen. Rafe, what's the best live show you've ever seen? That should be easy. Come on. Uh, top of, yeah, top of mine will be a tie, a gold and new between the Talking Heads and I saw their gig that was turned into a movie called Stop Making Sense. And that was when David Byrne came out and played one song and then someone came on stage and there were two people and they played the second song and they kept adding a person for every song until they had a lot of people, let's call it 15, 16 on stage playing the final song. It was just, it was surreal and it was so good. But just as good is Bang from Australia called Parcels. Parcels yeah. is, they're unbelievable live. They're jazz, they're soul, they're pop. They are insanely good musicians, but you don't know how good they are until you've heard them live. Their songs are really strong. Live, it's next level. And I've seen them now in four countries five times i've they've been better I've, I've been impressed every time they're better every time they are as good as any live band i've ever seen good answer i have to watch those videos now what has been your favorite music time period favorite music time period yeah i mean the easy answer is the 60s just yeah. look at yeah. the 60s it's just ridiculously cool and flavorful it, and memorable but i also like to say and this is the so far had of me now mm-hmm. and i don't mean now as in now is better i mean now as in a slightly more philosophical point we need as humans to be in the moment and i love the discovery and so i might say now is five years from now or five years ago if we were talking in the past so i just think that it's exciting to be alive and to hear new stuff always and so that's the slightly cheating answer in that, yeah, it's always, to me, the most exciting time is the time you're alive and aware. Those would be my, my two answers. Was there ever a moment of meeting someone, playing a show, a party, you name it? Was there ever a moment where you were like, holy crap, how am I here? <laughs> yeah, you mentioned it earlier when I, when I um, with the name Billie Eilish, when I saw her a couple times, I was just like, this, this young artist is a phenomenal. She's a phenomenal. Her and her brother, Phineas, it's just something about it that I and others clocked early. And when I saw her the first time, you know, there were like 80 people, second time, 500, third time, three, 4,000. I have not seen her play a stadium yet, but I think it was just super clear that this was a uniquely special thing and i just felt really lucky to be in this sort of small space and meeting meeting her that is so awesome what is the most remote so far sound show ever has there been a so far sound show in antarctica no i can't pronounce the name of the city that is ridiculously remote it's on the border of russia and china and yet to I'm going to, I'm going to have to look it up or yet to, I can't even pronounce it. 
Um, I will have to message you, and then you, it's like seven syllables long, hard to pronounce, but let's just say it's near Siberia. Wow. How did that come to fruition? Because the guy who was running us in that unnamed, it's actually a huge city, was in Berlin and discovered us while he was there studying. And then it's like, I'm going home to near Siberia. I don't think you guys are here. Can I start it? And that, that's how we spread over all the years. Like somebody would be traveling or student or living somewhere and they'd be like, this is amazing. And then they would say, well, we're not in fill in the blank city. And can we expand here? And the answer was almost always, yeah, of course. That's so cool. Most memorable fan interaction. Are you recognized in public? Like, do you have people come up to you at like grocery stores and ask to snap a photo? What What's the level of fame like? No, not like that. Maybe if I'm emceed a couple of times in a city, people may say, hey, I think it's more just about at the show. At the show, the people who like what we're doing and know that I'm there will come and, and just be really nice and share some appreciation. I, I, you know, which is really flattering. I think the most memorable ones are always the ones that are the most profound. I was at a show in Southern California and there were three women, middle-aged women having a picnic. So they'd obviously been before, they were on little lounge chairs, they had all this food. And one of them came over and just said, hey, I'm Claire, you know, I've been like 25 times, like, wow, that's incredible. And she's like, I brought my friend Jane who'd been many times. But then she pointed to the third friend who was a little bit uh, reserved. She said, you know, that's, that's our other friend, Judy, and she hasn't been out of the house in a year. Why? Well, her husband's dying, and this is the first time we've got her to go out, and we just felt that this vibe, this community is so sort of safe and special that if she's going to have a night out, without the guilt from her husband's, you know, affliction, that this is, this is it. And, uh, you know, that really blew me away and went over and gave Judy a hug and just said, you know, I hope this, this is uh, special for you. And, and it was. That's awesome, man. That is incredible. I absolutely love that. Good on you. Like, just to have something like that. You know, when I met you actually in I think November, 2019, my mom actually just passed away two months before that. And I was pretty lost. I I was going through definitely a very challenging time in my life. I had just, just moved back to Denver and Mm. seeing your speech and getting to meet you. I still have the photo actually as well was really a special and exciting moment for me in a lot of ways too. It actually really inspired me because I wanted to continue my path and my career in music and entrepreneurship. And with those challenges that I was facing at that time, I was kind of maybe not at my peak level or anything like that. So I think having the opportunity to see you speak and sort of share your wisdom during that time was really inspiring. I don't know. It's just really cool to hear other people that kind of made it and have made impacts in the world and are able to connect people in a positive way. So I can relate a little bit to that person's story. Thank you. I, I yeah. really 
appreciate that. Absolutely. Is it possible for a so far music festival? Ha. Yes, we have had about five and mm. they're not like uh, announced because they've been sort of pop up secret ish and they've been a while ago. So they've worked. Uh, one of them, we sold out a thousand tickets without telling people the lineup. Another one was a surprise. Uh, people were picked up by a bus in Melbourne and driven into the, the, the desert for wow. one unexpectedly. Wow. They were only told, you know, it's not just one gig. Please have the afternoon and evening free. And we'll be surprised. <laughs> so yeah, it is totally. So watch this space about whether we'll try more, but why not? You know, that's cool. That's very cool. I'm sure you have tons of advice and it, it's really dependent and super subjective, but in the most broad sense that you possibly can, do you have advice for entrepreneurs just trying to make it, trying to make the splash, make it happen? What would you say is just the most broadest thing you could give advice to for entrepreneurs? Definitely. My advice is simple and I kind of implied a little bit earlier. It's stick to the way that you are as a human, even as you grow, uh, that made the company and that you see it going, stick to your values. So whatever those values are, they're all different for everybody. And I mean it in the way that you connect to a company. So values to me are just, this is the way we treat each other and also the way we do business, whether it's, you know, a boring old word like integrity or a fresh word like, you know, we're pioneers or even if that's a fresh word, but whatever it is, stick to it. And the reason I say that is that's where so many people go wrong. They have an ideal about how they want to be in business and treat each other and, and build products and everything. And that goes away. It goes away when there's investment. It goes away when there's stress. It goes away when there's success. And that then is the beginning of the end. And I've seen that happen so many times. But just say, that's, if I had to give one bit of advice, that would, would be it. Thank you for sharing that. I seriously appreciate it. Something you would like to accomplish with so far that you haven't already. Yeah, the big picture. We would love it if we know that we can have a pathway for artists that goes from their first gig and if they enjoy it and we enjoy it to the second, to the 10th, to the whatever the number is. And that with each one, and as we increase, we have data that says there's likely to be a social media impact. You're likely to get more fans. You're likely to get money different ways that we do and that they do. Here's the data to help you. And when you play this much and, and you're growing, we'll tour you around the world and that'll take you to the next level. And maybe we'll help your network and meet managers and then we'll have other services for you along the way so that all of that together means that the kids growing up today who think, ah, music, that's kind of risky. That's kind of fringe. I might do it for a while. So those kids can dream big and say, I can actually make it in music because of so far sounds and companies like so far that are there for me at the beginning and that can help shepherd the way for me so that I don't have to pack it in and become 
an accountant or sorry accountants out there or <laughs> any job that I don't love, any job that I think mm, is not for me. I think that that's the thing. So I just make sure I don't put my foot in my mouth on the accountant thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are people who love being an accountant, but if you're a rock star wannabe, that may not be your path. So I think it's just to help them dream and to have the data and the, and the pathway, which we don't yet. We have a lot of it, but we've got a long way to go. That, that's what I'd love to see. And the final one, Rafe, here it goes, final one. So far, Sounds has been around for 14 years. Can we expect another 14 years? I hope we have another 100 years. I hope that we're around, whether we're called so far, whether we go public, whether we're bought out by somebody, but that what we do is helping artists along their way that that's around for a long, long time. Uh, 14 years, bring it on. 100 years, bring it on. That's awesome. Thank you so very much, Rafe, for coming on. I'm so grateful. You've inspired so many, including myself. And I hope to reconnect with you down the road. I mean, I really hope to go to so far show that you're at. The New York yes, office please. looks amazing. Yeah. The, New York, the New York office looks really cool. I have yet to go. And just best wishes, you know, man, much love and hopefully see you down the road. Thank you. Thank you, James. We have to meet up in some city, somewhere around the world. London, hit me up. Or <laughs> All it about it. Thank you to Rafe so much for letting me interview him. Thank you to So Far Sounds. Lots of love to them. Awesome company. Just really grateful. And thank you to everyone that tuned in. If you have any questions, feedback, or recommendations of who I should have on my show next, reach out to me on Instagram at James Richard Lane or Twitter, James Lane, Lane with two E's. Have a great week. And as always, please support your local animal shelter. Okay, it is time for my review, my product review. So Tico, T-E-A-K-O-E. They are online at T-E-A-K-O-E.com as well. They are a tea supply company, and they sent me some delicious teas in the mail, and I absolutely love them. So the designs on the can are really cool. They are all different colors, and the colors kind of match sort of like what the flavor beverage is, as well as has a little illustration of each fruit that is on the can as well. And it says fizzy tea and it has the calories, the sugar and the caffeine amount on the front of every can. So they're really transparent, really upfront, which is something that I can appreciate. So I am always trying to stay healthy, trying to stay fit, I'm getting a little bit older, I enjoy running and bicycling and I, usually feel kind of held down and tired after having too many added sugars, especially in junk and sweets and what have you, you name it. With Tico, they have no added sugars. It's certified organic and it's old school brewed. So that is also pretty exciting to me. In fact, the sugars are so low in the can. Again, it's right up front on the can and the highest amount of sugar I see per can that I received is seven grams of the honey lemon. And the lowest amount of sugar I see is a pretty much a tie for most of the rest of them, I believe, which is 
two grams of sugar. That is really low. And let me tell you a little bit about the flavors that they sent me, by the way. So they sent me the strawberry cream, the honey lemon, the peach lavender, the pomegranate hibiscus, the orange ginger punch, the pineapple metis, and the minty pear. And all of them were good. I enjoyed every single one of them. So their caffeine does range a little bit. I will say that. So their caffeine, the highest amount of caffeine I see is a tie between the honey lemon and the pineapple metis, which is going to be 130 milligrams. And then the lowest amount of caffeine per can I see is zero milligrams, which is strawberry cream. So again, low added sugars, but if you need just a little bit of boost on the caffeine, they have it for you, but you could choose. You could choose which can you want, different flavors. Their website's awesome. I was looking over their website and it just has a lot of colors. Something that excited me is they are from Colorado, which I lived in Denver for many years. So it was exciting to have that mutual kind of thing about us. And yeah, I enjoyed the beverages. I think that all of them were delicious. And if I had to say, I think my favorite one is gonna have to go to the honey lemon. It is quite good, and I would advise anyone to check out Tico, T-E-A-K-O-E.com. Okay, so the representative from Tico also sent me some drinkware as well, and the brand is called Puffin Drinkware. They are on Instagram, Facebook, as well as TikTok. And Puffin Drinkware is sort of like these outfits. It's kind of like jackets or t-shirts for your beverages. So it's for your cans, your glass, your bottles, cups, you name it. So you just kind of put it right in there. It's like a koozie and they come in different styles. So I received the flannel version. I received a denim jacket. I received a 80s sort of dad outdoor jacket that you might go hiking and camping with and then i received sort of like the miami florida like pink and green t-shirt and again you can put your beverages can cup whatever bottle inside of these i think that they have many many more i was checking out their website a little bit earlier as well as their socials they're pretty fun. It's definitely a vibe. It's it's kind of interesting. And you could also, I guess, it has the arms too. So in theory, you could hold it like you would hold sort of a mug, right? Like sort of the handle of a mug. All of them have that, or just about actually. The t-shirt one doesn't have that. And they also have a plastic bottom at the end too. So if you feel like decorating your drinkware with a jacket t-shirt or what have you puff and drinkware would be the way to go about that pitchfork music festival in chicago 2023 was amazing and i got to cover it as press let me tell you about it so july 21st 2023 i went to pitchfork festival and it was awesome it was decorated great. As soon as I went in, I went in through kind of the press check-in area, and right to the left of that was the interview stage. So they have a stage just for interviews, which I thought was really cool. So I had to walk in, see what it was all about, and there was a list of many great artists that were getting interviewed every day at Pitchfork Festival. I've never seen anything like that at a festival, so I thought that that was really cool. And some of those artists included Always, Johnny Greenwood, Perfume Genius, and many other great artists. These interviews were being conducted 
by some of the well-known editorial at Pitchfork. So they were asking great questions. There were beanbag chairs. There were free snacks. I was given some heart sunglasses, so I got to keep those as a souvenir. And again, it was a great vibe. So I'm walking around, exploring, seeing some of the artists perform, and the first musician that I get to catch was at the Red Stage, which was Grace Ives. She performed her track, Icing on the Cake, and it was so good. It was just a great song. People were dancing, people were moving. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, her parents were there on the side of the stage, had a large crowd, just really good vibes. Followed by that, I saw, I think, what may have been the best performance of the weekend, for me at least, what I think it might be, is Axel Bowman. He put on such a good show at the Blue Stage. Everyone was dancing. People just got loose, and it was just such a good feeling to be there. He had a guy on the side of the stage with him that was playing like clarinet and saxophone and just switching it up with instruments and it just synced really well together. The collaboration was awesome. People were enjoying it. I loved it. Yes, Axel Bowman, really amazing stuff. I continued to walk around the festival and there was a lot to see. There were free seltzers that were being given out. There was cornhole, there was artwork. There was a lot, there was a lot to see. And again, just really good vibe all around the festival. Everyone felt just really happy and really joyful, which is something that was exciting too. And I've been following Pitchfork for many years and this was sort of what I kind of expected and it came true. So that's something that felt really good too. So followed by all that, I stopped to watch Nation of Language at the Red Stage. And man, were they so good. They kind of remind me in a way, sort of-ish, kind of, of a new version in the terms of the sound. Not the aesthetics, not the people in the band, just kind of like maybe the vocal melodies possibly the smiths i said it i kind of feel like in a weird way nation of language reminds me of the smiths you could have a totally different opinion completely and that's totally fair i get it whatever doesn't matter but in a way it reminded me of it i thought it was really great they put on such a good show and i got to meet the band afterwards which was awesome the vocalist was very friendly very nice and it was so cool meeting him too because all the energy that he puts into his performance of dancing and moving around the stage. It's very exciting. It's very engaging. And then to get to meet him, such a friendly guy. And the whole band just seemed nice and awesome. And hopefully I'll get to interview them down the road. Followed by that, I was walking around a little bit more. I went back to the interview tent and I got to see Always get interviewed, which was sweet. That was so awesome to see them get interviewed. And, you know, they're just a band that's been around for a while now, at least 10 plus years. And seeing them in person, really close it was the vocalist and then I believe the guitarist right on stage with one of the Pitchfork editorial. And it was fun. I'm just eating some chips, eating some other snacks that was given away for free at the festival. Very nice in some beanbag chairs and yeah, just really good vibes. 
Perfume Genius was to follow that, which was at the green stage, and Perfume Genius slayed. Oh my god. So it's mainly this one guy, and then he has a backing band with him. And his song Queen is my favorite song by Perfume Genius. And he performed that last. That was the final song. And he's wearing these red gloves. And here comes another comparison. So total hot take. You might not feel this way. I'm feeling this. It's just sort of like the the decoration, the overall vibe that he's kind of giving me. He's wearing these bright red gloves. They're kind of long. In a way, sort of ish kinda reminds me of scott wyland of stone temple pilots and i love stp so in the weird way some type of strange way it kind of reminded me of that and it just made me so much more even into it than i already was and i was really into it so just a good set i was chatting with some strangers at the festival again everyone's really friendly the connection was there good feels and yeah we were just enjoying it together perfume genius absolutely slayed it the song queen so good so i turn over to the other stage which is going to be the red stage and it always goes on and they play their hit songs marry me archie dreams tonight and they played a bunch of new songs from their new album blue rev which was really cool to see in person too and then the singer of always she announced her song what was it very online guy and right before they started playing it she just says reveal yourselves which i found that so funny i was literally laughing as she was saying that and yeah just a lot a lot of people are watching always people are getting into it she's wearing sunglasses the singer right up on stage and i don't know just a really cool like aesthetic just a fun vibe and yeah again another great performance after that who did i see i saw the smile which is tom york of radiohead and johnny greenwood of Radiohead, and then they have a drummer as well. So they're a three-piece, and then I think they have a couple of other people that are just sort of additional members that may not be official members. But yeah, they were awesome. And I'm not a big Radiohead fan by any means, but I do have to say, they really impressed me. And something that really stuck out during their set was this like ghoulish, spooky sort of ghostly chants that Tom York was singing into the microphone and Johnny Greenwood's just sort of like in the center of the stage but a a little bit back at the same time and just rocking out the drummer is hitting really well just matching the sound so well with what Tom's singing what Johnny's playing on the guitar yeah really great performance July 21st at Pitchfork was amazing I had such a great time and absolutely loved it Okay, so July 22nd at Pitchfork Music Festival 2023, I got to see a few artists, but unfortunately there was a rain delay on a big part of the festival that day, so it's definitely a bummer, but Pitchfork did everything that they could to keep the festival going and get people you know, excited and still having fun, but safe at the same time, so I do respect that. For sure, I really do appreciate them being careful like that. But yeah, I went over to go see Panda Bear and Sonic Boom perform, and I was so excited because I'm a huge Panda Bear fan, huge Animal Collective fan, so I went right there, right up front, and as Panda Bear was setting up, unfortunately, that's when it started raining, and the thunder and the lightning was coming in, and 
Uh, it was such a bummer. He didn't get to play, sadly. However, I did get to see him in person. Even though he didn't get to perform, it, it still felt really exciting because, you know, he's such a legendary musician, Panda Bear, and he also did that track with Daft Punk like 10 years ago, doing it right. And yeah, such a good one. So still exciting to see him in person. So the festival evacuated shortly after that for the safety. And a lot of people, you know, went for cover from the rain, whether they were in restaurants or, you know, some of the um, Pitchfork staff actually took the press, including myself, over to, I believe it was like this lounge area. And we got to hang out there, charge our phones, sort of relax a little bit. And then maybe an hour, maybe a little less, uh, everyone started to get to go back to the festival, which was really exciting. And Pitchfork made up for it immediately. They got everyone in the press tent pizza and salad. There's water bottles so we could hydrate. And the pizza was absolutely delicious. So very grateful for that. It was very nice of Pitchfork to do. Lots of gratitude. So immediately after that, I went over to see King Cruel. And wow, that was awesome. That was better than I expected, actually. I don't know too, too much about King Cruel, if I'm being completely honest. I've listened to a couple of his songs, and I'm like, okay, this is is all right. But his performance was so, so good. Like, really good stuff. It had this background image of sort of like a galaxy spacey type of vibe uh, sort of in the background of what the band was playing in and then King Cruel I believe it's the main guy and then he has sort of the backing band situation as well and he just had so much angst so much anger like really into the mic and just really feeling it again great performance I thought it was awesome shout out to King Cruel really good stuff Wise Blood was shortly after that and she looked beautiful. Oh man, the front woman was absolutely stunning and her music was just as good, if not maybe even better. I don't know. Like just everything about it was awesome. Really good stuff. Very emotional, very lyrics driven, just very much a kind of like spiritual maybe-ish way. I, I don't really know how to explain it. It's something you would have to see for yourself. So maybe check out a Ways Blood video on YouTube or something or, you know, check her out on Spotify. But yeah, I I felt that connection and I thought it was really good. So shout out to Ways Blood. Really awesome stuff. Charlotte Adagari, I think is how you pronounce her name. I saw her next at the blue stage and whoa, 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 whoa. Very dancey, very fun, just really loud, really good stuff. Yeah, Charlotte was awesome. Very, very good stuff. And then Big Thief closed out the night. I'm not a huge Big Thief fan, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, I know that many, many people are. Totally respect that. Nothing against Big Thief. They're just not for me. Buck Meek, I know he has a solo project that I really enjoy. I've definitely enjoyed some of his stuff. But overall, I think they put on a good show. I mean, again, they're not my favorite band, but I will definitely say for what it was, it was it was a good show. And, you know, a lot of people were there. It was good vibes and uh, the weather was nice out. So I'm going to still give love to Big Thief for their performance. Now, July 23rd, 2023, a Pitchfork Music Festival. I'm going to kind of speed round this one a little bit just because I'm running out of time here. But JPEG Mafia, great artist, just awesome rap artist. And he's from Baltimore. He has a song named after a street, Calvert Street something. 
It is a street that I know very well. It used to be a DIY warehouse called Bell Foundry. Now it's some apartments, meh. But regardless, JPEG Mafia at Pitchfork Music Festival, really awesome. Soul Glow, really noisy, kind of this like Death Grips vibe, very loud, very fun, awesome stuff. Jockstrap, again, another fun, dancey, good vibes, really lyrics driven. And then there are quite a few more. Killer Mike, another great set. Coffee, another good artist, great headliner. Killer Mike, just future legend, just awesome artist, really good vibe. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to just say, like, one of the best performances for sure. And the Bonnie Bear, the legendary writer, just everyone knows Bonnie Bear. That was a great selection, great choice for Pitchfork Music Festival. Again, I just want to say the festival was awesome. Everyone at Pitchfork was incredible. To see the editors at Pitchfork being there, the press tent was amazing. The free food was awesome. Getting to network with other people in press. The interview stages were probably my favorite part. The beanbag chairs, the snacks, the free glasses. Getting to see the people interview the artists right there on the spot was so sweet. Never seen anything like that. And then just also, again, the art was cool. There was jorts for charity, which was a really funny little tent vendor that they had there. They had cornhole. They had snacks, food, drinks. You know, it was just a good music festival. I am ranking Pitchfork Music Festival really high. I would definitely go back again next year. Lots of love to Pitchfork. Thank you very much for having me.